the destruction of domestic violence, how it affects all of us, both men and women, the physiological, psychological, and sexual abuse, the cyclical nature of pain in which that children are forsaken by what they've seen from their parents and what their parents did to them. We hear about domestic violence, you see the ads on TV, you hear about it in parliament every now and again, but very rarely do you ever just get to sit down in a moment and just digest 10 to 13 of the most horrific, deeply disturbing, brutal, yet beautiful stories around domestic violence and how people have learned not only to become self-aware about the pain that they were enabling, that they were engaging, that they subconsciously almost desired in a way as a result of conditioning and to overcome that conditioning to one day realize that I would prefer to choose light. I prefer to choose love and prefer to choose a greater life even if there was risk, even if there was the fear of incurring more pain. Surely the pain of dying on my feet versus living on my knees would have been greater. And that is what you're going to see. And that's what you're going to hear in these stories today in this podcast. I'm coming in with a lot of fire because I'm fired up. And most importantly, the intent for today's podcast is that I want to bring people to a place of a better life to end the cycle of pain. This is not just going to be a sap session. This is not just going to be about crying about each other and hugging each other. And while hugging is good and crying is good, we have to get a tangible result here. We have to get at least one person who listens to this to wake up and say that, enough is enough. I will not accept this standard of behavior anymore. I want to create a better life. That is the intent for today. This is not targeted at males who are currently or about to commit domestic violence. This is about, if you're a male listening to this, inform yourself about the plight of women who have been, and also men that have been through domestic violence, how to best listen to them, understand them, work through them, work through the emotions, have the empathy for them. And if you have more practice in the conversation of that conversation, if you've heard these stories and it's not the first time you're coming up against it, you'll be much better steadfast to deal with someone who's, if not within that battle right now, but has maybe come out of that and has developed a shell, developed a protection mechanism around that. And if you are a female listening to this, you know, I want you to feel heard. I want you to feel seen. I want you to feel that as I read out your stories, well, I can't be there with you in the room. You know, I extend the deepest of my empathy and love for what you've gone through. And that your life is always worth living. Always. And with all that being said, this podcast is brought to you by BoldDojo.com, where you can book one-on-one coaching with myself in order to create action plans, overcome limiting beliefs, destroy negative self-perceptions, and egoic attachments. Have a listening ear to the trials of your life, helping you to move forward. You can also sign up for the free weekly email newsletter, The Bold Sip. It's just a quick sip of social dynamics and anything I'm exploring on Fridays. Just go to boldojo.com, sign that up. You can also hit up the free resources of wisdom where I drop my favorite books, movies, quotes, anime, documentaries, music, all of that, all at boldojo.com. And if you would like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash A-D-A-M-O-O-I. Link is down below in the description, or you can also donate directly through the website, also linked down in the description. Anything that you guys do donate is always extremely appreciated and just goes back to helping support the show and what I do here. So thank you very much. And if you do get anything from this piece of content, please let me know in a comment down below. I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as possible and also please drop a thumbs up on the video it just helps the youtube algorithm helps send out the video to more people in the community and if you find that you resonated share with a friend you think would resonate as well let's get into today's show so as for the context slash setup of today's podcast this was inspired by last friday's bowl sip article in which i was telling a story of a woman who had just got out of a 20-year domestic violence marriage and then I went onto Instagram and posted a screenshot of that and just asked my audience over there, hey, do you guys have any insights or stories you could share? And yeah, I got hit, got hit with a emotional tsunami from mostly women and one man. And so we're going to bust barrel through those stories today. And I may add commentary in between. I might not. I really, I'm going to leave that to chance. I'm going to see how I'm feeling in the moment. But then after that, we're going to hit the male end because most of those stories are female. I want to 
put the highlight on the fact that yes, that this is a balanced equation, that men can also be on the receiving end of domestic violence from women. And I have some stories, personal stories I can share with that. That's the setup for today's podcast. Let's do it. And so this first story sent in to me from an anonymous woman in Australia says, my son's father was sentenced with 52 separate domestic violence charges, including unlawful stalking, death threats, etc. I received multiple emails and voicemail messages telling me he was going to kill me, slip my throat, burn my house, and make me pay. He spent 10 months in jail and now has 2.5 years on good behavior bail. Sadly, I'm not the only one he's done this to either. He currently has three DVOs, domestic violence orders, I believe, against him from three different women. It took a lot of counseling to heal, and I'm still not there. He stripped away my confidence and self-worth, and I have mild PTSD. Whenever I hear a V8 in my complex, I freeze, and for months after he was locked up, when I heard my email notification, I got sick. The worst part for me was when he was threatening to kill our son as to make me pay. I'm really fortunate to have a great family and friends that have held me together when needed, but it leaves a mark. I haven't dated in two years and don't see myself trying again. As you will find, my friends, as you listen to these stories, it's very hard to conjure up an immediate lingual response to describe how one emotionally feels. It's just such a overall a mass of destructive mentalities and behaviors that you see within that that leaves one potentially with a sense of despair and feeling that the world itself is darkness. Particularly with her, there's two things that stood out with me in that story particularly. Not that anything's really a priority. They're all as terrible as each other, really. But two things, just personally. The threatening to end his own child's life in order to get back at the woman. That's a, that's a different level of sadism. That's a different level of... corruption within one spirit next to her point of she hasn't dated in two years and doesn't see herself trying again that's where i'd have to disagree that's where i'd have to disagree and where i think and i won't even offer an argument to that right now i'll allow the other stories to argue for me because i think what you'll find if she's listening to this which is that one should never give up hope stand strong in your conviction that humanity is good regardless of the aberrations that we find but I can totally empathize and understand with how your view of masculine energy would be. It'd be hard for it not to be corrupted by experiencing something like that. So continue in your healing process, absolutely. But just know that there are absolutely males out there, not only myself, but of course those uh, who come to me that would look at this story, look at how this man is behaving. And it's not really a man. It's a man in the biological nature. But in terms of the psychological nature, it is a boy. It is a boy who has been wildly wildly corrupted and certainly does not represent all of masculine energy not even a sliver moving on to the next domestic violence story this woman sent in saying my first husband was abusive i was only 16 when we met he convinced me he would give me an amazing life in brackets there's lots of cycle of abuse within the family and brackets the first two years he was amazing then we got married when i was 18 moved away from the family in brackets he's in the army and brackets i got pregnant then it started honestly The punches heal and go away. The mental abuse will never leave me. I've been with my now husband 13 years and sometimes still get shocked when he doesn't get mad 
because his friend and dad made a comment about me, etc. That was a much shorter story and I wanted to include that and you'll find some of these to help break up the cadence. So I'm going to include some shorter stories here that offer interesting angles. And the angle that I liked about this here is when she said, honestly, the punches heal and et cetera and all the other things that come along with that, the physical abuse she's talking about, but the mental abuse stays with. Because as a man listening to that, the idea of striking a woman is so repulsive to the point in which that it's incomprehensible as to how you would find yourself in a position of wanting to do that. There was a time and there will be a time later on this podcast where I'll describe the time in which that I came my closest to getting into an altercation physically with a woman because a woman was physically trying to fight me. We'll talk about it. Well, she wasn't a woman at the time. We were teenagers, but that's a, it's a story in and of itself. We'll talk about that later on. But even that was deeply, deeply disturbing about how I had to restrain myself when she was attempting to physically what's the word? I guess assault is technically the word. But anyways, all I'm trying to say here is that the idea is repulsive and that even just getting close to that, even being in the space of that is so repulsive to the point of which that it's incomprehensible. It is very important for us as masculine beings, as we listen to these stories, to actually put ourselves in the position of that man. Not only the woman, very important to be put ourselves in the position of the woman, but I feel like actually that's probably easier, which is very rare in social dynamics. It's very rare in social dynamics that it's easier for masculine beings to put themselves in the woman's position than in the man's. Generally speaking, when we do these podcasts and we're breaking down principles of social dynamics, male listeners particularly find it difficult to understand why a woman would do this, feel this, say this. But in particular, I think the op- I think it's actually the opposite here. You, know, you can completely understand why a woman would suffer from the mental abuse perpetuating on the, onwards from that experience. But why the man would even get to that point, you know, alcoholism, drug abuse, the cyclical nature of how he grew up, you know, what his parents did to him. These can all offer viewpoints and uh, reasonings, never to excuse, but reasonings for why someone would find themselves in that position. But even so, even so, how different someone's worldview and life upbringing must be in order to lay a hand on a woman. How different that must be from, say, what I've experienced in my life, in which that even the idea of just getting to a physical altercation with a woman uh, to defend yourself is it 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 sends real warning signs. It sends, it's really quite uh, disgusting in a way. So that's just the way it makes you feel. So, anyways, that that's something that stood out to me there, and I'm really happy to hear that she has a now husband who treats her right. Treats her right. This next story is extremely explicit, so please prepare yourselves. Sent in by a woman saying, "My mum was psychologically and physically abused for 28 years." The stories are horrendous, tormented by rages of anger and alcoholism, beat black and blue. My oldest brother and sister copped it bad. My closest age sister and I copped yelling and fear and saw mum get beat. We were always scared. We knew when he had been drinking because his eyes were like the devil. We finally left one night by running away. It took that long because he said he would kill us if we left. I was 13. I went on to have domestic violence relationships until I was 30, always with older men. I'm now 36. It takes a lot of healing to strip back the layers of constant fear, unsafe and unworthiness, to reach a place of peace. When you grow up in DV families, it's all you know, and on some level, most of us find men like that again to relive the cycle. Many of the women in our family were incestually abused by men in their childhoods. 
I'm no longer surprised when I hear girls have been abused in my family, but I'm always sad. I hadn't seen my dad for 23 years until recently when he was buried. There was no sadness. This is a day the world was a better place. People find it hard to hear when your father was a pedophile, a tormentor, and a basher. I have healed from what happened and now help other women to release their past and move forward to a bright future. Everything happens for us for a higher reason. We choose this path and we get to choose what we do with it. My mum is 67 and has now started doing some serious healing. It's never too late. Sending women and men who have experienced domestic violence so much love. Yosha. That's what I'm talking about. Explicit. Horrific. Absolutely horrific. But how can you not smile at the end? How can you not smile when you realize the depths of the sorrow, of the destruction, the darkness led to a place of such joy, to a place of height, heightened joy, such elevation in which that she could help other people. Your greatest pain will be your greatest gift to others. I've been saying this for a very long time. And this woman is living that. Absolutely. And that's, that's why you should never give up. It's probably why I said uh, before to that other woman, just don't give up. You haven't dated in two years, don't give up. Don't give up. Okay. The light is there for you. <sighs> Again, another relationship though in which that threatening to kill, threatening to kill, it's such a, it's such a pattern, pattern. And it's not empty either. These are just the stories of victims that are still around to tell them. You, know, you can you don't have to look too far to find stories in which that this was carried out. I forget the name of the family, but that recent event in Australia in which that the woman and her children were burned alive, the three of them. Just when you hear that the threat to kill, threat to kill, you're going to hear that a lot in this particular session. But don't don't take that too lightly. They mean it. They do mean it. Maybe just not yet at that point. Maybe not pushed to that point yet pushing themselves to that point. One of the interesting things she mentioned in it was that she hadn't seen her dad for 23 years until he was buried. No sadness, just that the day was the day was a better day for the world. The day the world was in a more peaceful place. And I don't think that's a disrespect I don't think that's a disrespectful thing to say in any way, shape or form. I think as we whether you subscribe to a spiritual philosophy of past lives or a, a thread of lives or a live of threads in which that you are constantly reincarnated or reiterated back into a reality to learn something that you didn't learn in your previous life. Whether you literally believe that that is something that is true or whether you were to just take the metaphorical nature of that and you were to believe in the metaphor of it, I certainly take a stance in which I feel that that resonates, in which that whatever is your greatest lesson to learn right now is something that you were previously unable to achieve in the previous life. Do I believe that there were previous lives? Could be. I'm not confirmed on that particular part of it, but I am very endeared with is the idea that if you don't learn it now, you're going to have to learn it again. So learn it now. And we each have our, we, all, we each all stand in the place where we are right now. It allows us and offers us compassion to understand that when you can see that people that operate from a place of anger, destruction and darkness and wish to inflict pain on others. While it doesn't excuse any of those behaviors, you must always maintain your compassion for humanity, your compassion for that human being, so as not to forsake yourself. And it's okay to recognize when someone has passed on and really, truly, they did 
a disservice to society, to humanity, even whether it was a pedophile, tormentor, basher of a man, husband who would not be remembered in the history books, or it's Hitler, or it's Mao, or it's people who had global, or if not global, but very widespread effect of darkness. They're all coming from a small place and they all had to learn their lessons at a certain point and that light will persist. Light will always persist and as long as there is one, as I always say, as long as there is one candle, we can light up a thousand. And this woman here was certainly one of those candles. We'll end it there, otherwise we'll keep going on. As you can see, a lot of these messages, we could do an entire podcast on just one of these messages. So I'm trying to curtail and try to really summarize my thoughts in a bit of a nut, a bit of a nutshell. Coming down off of that message, we've got something here that's a little bit shorter, but just as important actually. This woman comes in saying, younger woman coming in saying, I know it's nothing in comparison to what some girls and women experience, but with my ex, it was all psychological. First buy, got with him when I was 17, and then once I turned 18 and wanted to go clubbing with my girls, he would say, yeah, you can go, but don't expect to come home to me. And things like, you won't find anyone better than me, dot, dot, dot. I isolated myself from many of my high school friends as a result, unfortunately. It's the end of the story. I responded to her by saying, that's not nothing. Because the seed has to be planted somewhere. The seed of questioning your self-worth, your self-value. And when you trust in someone, and that trust is being manipulated slowly, you know, it's a poor job of a tormentor to break someone's trust in a moment, completely, entirely. Right? There's no training there. There's no conditioning there. If you study dark psychological behavior there must be a gradual process in which that a seed is planted and then nurtured and then brought to fruition in which that the victim would believe that the whip is good but as i've said the whip is not good and as you would know standing back from thirty thousand feet the whip is not good but if one believes and one is trained off over a long enough period of time that the whip is good and that the whip is what they need for survival then this is all how it begins which is why to her if she's listening to this please realize that And I hope now, and I believe actually when I got back to her afterwards, she said she had found a much better man who actually treats her right, a lovely man in her words. So good to hear. So glad to hear. I don't have that screenshot right now, but I do remember from her, she has found, she got out of that relationship and found a man that was willing to treat her right. Able to. So good that you cut that stem out or that seed out right where it was because if you're allowed to perpetuate, and as you'll see in a lot of these stories, you're going to see 20 years, 30 years of your life gone by in which that... Not only is your sense of reality carved, shaped to expect abuse, psychological, physiological, sexual, but also to never value yourself truly. So well done. Well done to you, young lady. Okay, got another big message coming in here from a woman saying, my mum, my brother and myself have been victims of domestic violence. My mother's ex-partner, in brackets, not our dad, in brackets, manipulated and abused my mother for 20 years. At first, I hated the idea of my mum being in a relationship with this man. I didn't like it from the start. My mum and my brother loved him and tried to convince me that he was a good man. I didn't realize then that the feeling I had about him was just my intuition. He befriended me in the early years of my mum's relationship with him giving me presents, money, and convincing our mum to let us go to parties and socialize with our friends. Whilst he had my mum all to himself. Every time my mum came home, I noticed her being withdrawn and different. Not her usual vibrant, caring, fun, loving, and confident self. I began to notice how jealous he was of how close my mum, brother, and I were. He began to orchestrate fights between us, gaslight my mum, and constantly humiliate us in front of her kids, her family, and friends. He isolated my brother and I from our mum by taking her to his place, keeping her there after every fight he orchestrated and manipulated between us. 
He eventually turned our mother against us. And by the time I finished high school, he and my mum bought a house together and separated my family unit by convincing my mum to let her underage son live in his unit alone and me to live with them. He eventually kicked out my brother out of his unit and me out of their house. He verbally, psychologically, sexually, and financially abused my mum over a 20-year period. My mum was isolated from her kids, her sisters, and her friends. She became severely depressed, isolated, and took up vices of gambling, as that was what he did. The abuse towards mum was bad, That my mom, so bad that my mum tried to leave many times before, but couldn't. She was in the same house with him, but she was living in her room, afraid of him where she was too afraid to go to the toilet and showers at times because he was constantly drunk and violent. In 2019, I managed to get my mum out of there and into my auntie's place. We started legal proceedings to get things sorted, but he has made things difficult and the matter is currently at a standstill as he is being extremely difficult denying everything. The main thing is that my mum is safe and away from him and slowly but surely living a life that she deserves. Sorry if it's long, but I tried to make it as short and detailed as much as I could. I struggled to write this as I'm still processing what my mum went through and the psychological effect it has on her and also what my brother and I endured as well. The healing process for mum especially, my brother and I, is ongoing and at times we brush it off because it's just too hard to face the past sometimes but I do believe that we heal in our own time, in our own way, even if it means being gentle with ourselves and that is what counts. Love to the prayer. What you have there is a great description of a secondary indirect perspective of how the domestic violence destroys. You know, I actually went and talked to my mom about that story. Of course, if she's listening, don't worry, I don't mention any names. But I, me- I mentioned the story to my own mom because the behavior that male displayed is a classic narcissism, classic narcissism. And my mother was actually with a, a similar partner in her time who developed an extreme jealousy of my mum's relationship with her two sons and would seek to keep her for himself and only for himself. And I think you'll find there's a a deep, deep presence of narcissism within people who do commit domestic violence, particularly when they take on the, the guard and the prisoner type mentality in which they try to keep their victim as a prisoner all for themselves and they see all threats. They see any attention, even if it's not uh, solicited or if it's not even sexual to any degree whatsoever, but any attention and that's an attack. That's an attack on their property, on their ownership. It's what you have to live with afterwards and how that plants seeds in other people's minds and that how very likely this daughter and her brother, as a result of seeing what their mum went through, could have very well learned to develop a conditioned pattern in which that we see this as normal and this is what we should seek out subconsciously within our own relationships. That's very, that's very likely. That's very likely. And I'm really glad to hear that they're aware enough to address a healing process and to be moving forward in their lives to create something better. Okay, another intense story coming up. This woman sends in saying, Hi Adam, I've been battling court, both criminal and family, for two years due to domestic violence. Still likely got another 12 months before trial and criminal, and in three weeks my daughter, who's three years old, is being forced back into visitation by the family courts. The process once you leave the relationship is incredibly traumatizing and so triggering. I don't even know what sleep feels like anymore. For me, in the beginning, I had no idea what was to come. There was this version of a person that slowly faded away. The more control he gained, the more that version disappeared. There was the financial abuse with the emotional abuse that set in first. Jealousy, controlling, intimidating. To be honest, back then I didn't know that was even considered domestic violence. But then came sexual abuse. I knew it wasn't right, but I still would never consider myself a victim of DV. So naive thinking that DV was literally black eyes and bruises. 
didn't understand coercive control. He used to use his ex or stress, etc. to justify his behavior. But it continued to get worse. My child, in brackets, his stepchild, suffered more than I ever knew, both emotional and physical abuse. Still now, I'm learning more. I tried to leave many times. The time that I had left was the day that my child had physical injuries. But by this point, we shared a child. When people say the most dangerous thing slash time for a victim is when they leave, is 100% truth. As a perp loses control, they get worse. There are threats that they have all the power, all the money from the financial abuse that they can take the child away. You basically get stalked by your ex because they know you legally can't keep the child from them. The abuse continues, post-separation abuse, including the sexual. He was smart. He never left bruises, no evidence. And here, in this particular location, coercive control isn't criminalized, so you can't go to the cops until you have physical evidence on you. But one day, it did get that bad. And I was in a situation that I had to physically fight my way out. I had to lie to get away, and I finally could go to the police. But in doing so, I had no idea the hell that I was entering into. There is this thing known as the front desk lottery in domestic violence when it comes to walking to a police station. They discuss it on The Trap in more detail if you haven't heard about it. I got lucky, I guess. I kind of won because the police officers listened and took what I told them incredibly seriously. They arrested him and issued an IVO, intervention order I believe, on the spot. They brought in a detective and then he and another lady attended my house. She took me into my room and item by item took each piece of my clothing and put them into brown paper bags. This part of that day, just literally when I think about it, so clear. It was petrifying and as lovely as she was, having a stranger literally take your stuff until you are standing there completely naked is undescribable. I remember asking her if I could shower and she said no because on their way was a forensic crime scene team. They had to take swabs and photos and I was there all alone feeling completely broken and without any concept of the reality of what I really suffered that day. The next week was tough. It took four days to do my statement. They said it was one of the more thorough that they had ever seen as I'd been keeping notes hidden away so could give a timeline of the events. There was this whirlwind of court dates I didn't attend in the magistrate's courts and there was just a German after a German and each one would crush you again and again. Then came the family court. The abuse had never stopped. Systems abuse is incredibly difficult because you have trauma, but psychologists say they can't help while the trauma is still occurring and so ongoing. PTSD triggers and flashbacks, nightmares, anxiety, social anxiety, hypervigilance, constant fear. It is crippling. And my children, they have suffered it too. DV literally breaks you. When you are living it, part of their control is for you to be isolated. So there are a few people that you can trust. And then the leaving and this process isolates you even more. The emotional abuse is definitely hard to recover from. You literally second guess and question every decision you everything you do. It's exhausting. What you will find with so many DV survivors is that we are petrified to share details specific to our case because of the threat of further abuse, i.e. defamation, etc. And also, I remember the police telling me to be very careful of any past or new posts on social media because defense lawyers will try to use it in the criminal courts. I permanently deleted all my old accounts after they told me that. It took me up a long time to even be okay setting up one's accounts and even longer for me to even put up a profile picture If I share photos, they are never captioned, and most things I post are shared from other pages, so it's never my own words. Also, thank you for addressing this topic. Most of the podcasts are people highlighting this issue are female. So that was the first story that I received on Friday night, actually, and that one really emotionally sat me down. 
it's again very hard to respond to that one logically but the things that do stand out to me right there is that not only the raw nature of her having to stand there naked being swabbed for bio dna tests but that she had to fight her way out of the situation everyone has their breaking point I'm not sure if it was tied, if it was tandem, but she mentioned that her the day she that had she had gone was when that the child had bruises on it. That's a different level of corruption when you extend the abuse towards a child who is pure, simple, and unable to defend themselves. I think that's what is where society condemn well, we should condemn the most. We don't really. We say that we do, but if you look at the punishments for people who abuse children, I don't think it goes far enough. But let's leave the politics for now. Just in her story there, she did mention a lot of the systematic issues and errors and adjournments and how this extends the pain and the trauma. And yes, while the uh, the physical abuse is what really kind of jars me, I completely understand how the emotions of an ongoing, unable to fully let the situation to be closed, the full closure of it all, I can see how that would be extremely deleterious to one moving forward and that you just got to do your best do your absolute best through the adversity and the trial of what that must be so how much stronger you would be as a result of that and that's why my mind always goes to when i hear intense stories of suffering it's like who's this person going to come out at the end of it because it really comes down to whether you're going to continue to grow or whether you're going to allow yourself to be deleted into the annals of dust into the ashes of what could have been something so beautiful it's a choice it's always a choice and the fact that this woman was when willing to send this into me you know it shows that she's on some kind of a path moving forward and i think that's that's really all you could ever ask for yourself as someone who's gone through domestic violence or and not even just domestic violence but someone who's been gone through some form of tremendous suffering which we all will which all will whether it's be a loved one that is taken away from you in a snap moment or someone who that was close to you that commits their own suicide of their own life takes their own life someone that just someone that you loved that went down a dark path and you couldn't do anything to stop that whatever your suffering may be personal injury physically psychologically looking towards who you will one day become what this adversity would carve you into that's always going to be a mindset that will serve you. That will only help to serve you, but serve you in serving others. Your greatest gift will be that pain. The pain that you've endured that you will one day be able to help someone else through. The fact that this woman is willing to send this message in, there may be just one woman listening to this or man listening to this that goes, well, she hasn't given up life yet. And I was thinking about ending my own life today. You know, every day that you continue to survive, it gives you another chance to thrive. And it's okay to accept that you're not thriving right now. Maybe things are very difficult, very painful right now. But that will be a foregone conclusion if you end your life. There will be no chance of rising once more, to see the sun shining once more. So important to remember that there's always a sky beyond the clouds. Thank you so much for sending that in. Okay, this next story is particularly brutal, so set yourselves up. This woman comes in saying... In high school, I was dating this guy from like 14 to 17. I thought he was the love of my life because I lost my virginity to him. And I had this idea drilled in my head that I had to be with him forever. He was from a totally different background to me, not just culturally, but the family unit, etc. His mum had fled from a domestic violence relationship and he had no father figure. 
He was involved in crime and a street lifestyle from a young age. He dropped out of school young, and no matter how many jobs were lined up for him, he refused to work. At the time, I was at school full-time and had a part-time job as a receptionist. He would sleep all day because he was out all night gambling, illegally, off his money, which I'm sure he got from crime. He used to keep me in his room for hours while he slept and wouldn't let me leave if I woke him because I had to use the bathroom. He would lose his shit and throw bottles, whatever else was around, at me. He'd literally tie me to his bed and quite often, if we were out in public and he didn't like what I said or did, he would pinch my hips so hard that I always had bruises. It wasn't obvious that he was hurting me to others, but a way to remind me of what he could do to me. He'd often get very rough and physical with me and I couldn't handle it. I think I felt sorry for him and his upbringing, so I stayed, but also being young and not knowing enough about the world. He was almost sent to a juvenile detention center a couple times. In the end, when I hit year 12 and started to make career choices and study, I realized I just didn't want to be with him anymore. I told him and he didn't take it well. Threatened to commit suicide multiple times. Told me to come to his house and pick up some of my things. In brackets. He said his sister and mum were there. In brackets. When I got there, it was dark. I went inside and he took me in his room and tried to make love in his eyes. But to me, it wasn't. We weren't together anymore and I no longer wanted to be with him. It was literally rape. Lucky his sister got home not long after and heard me crying my eyes out begging to let me go. He was getting violent because I wanted to leave and wouldn't do what he wanted, which was tell him that I'd take him back. She got me out of there and that was it. I still received phone calls occasionally and had to change my number, but not long after, he ended up being sent to jail in some totally unrelated things, which I felt better which I felt better about and I could finally let go. I haven't really spoken about this to anyone apart from my best friend. I'm literally shaking writing this as it's bringing up some ugly memories I've buried. I forgot to mention the verbal slash financial abuse too. He used to take all my money, every single paycheck, and use it to buy smokes, etc. I realize now how silly that I wasted so many years at such a young age, but at the time I felt stuck. What I thought love was, messed up expectations from family, etc. And just being way too young. And the story sat me down. Really sat me down emotionally and trying to process what that's like as a woman to be in the idea of ending the relationship, going back to gather your things and to be raped, to be forced to have a sexual interaction that you were not willing to engage in. For a female or a feminine being listening to this, and the word rape gets thrown around a lot these days. You hear it a lot more than when I was a lot younger and that's a good thing in a way. But it really depends on the weight in which that is given to that word. When it's used so frequently and so casually a lot of times as well, you kind of lose the idea of what that feeling must be or what that experience must be. And I think that story really, it's, it stings. It stings and it burns very deeply into my concept of relationship and the concept of which I've espoused here throughout this podcast over the years on the balance between masculine and feminine energy. I feel the principles that we talk about of a male masculine being at his best, being a vessel of total acceptance, showing the principles of being direct, congruent, authentic, covering of empathy. You know, these are the best things that a, a man could show in the in his prime, in the prime of his example. And to hear that there's a example of such the opposite, the polar opposite. Incomprehensible comes to mind. Just 
just actually a curiosity, a real curiosity burns within me to actually meet this person, to actually sit down with him and want to understand him. And this is where I will talk later on, on, later on in this podcast about the ideas of compassion and you know, forgiving in order to let go. But we're not there yet with this podcast. We're not going to get deep into the philosophy yet. But just from a purely social dynamics point of view as a coach here, I would love to sit down with this guy. You know, both ends. I'd love to sit down with her. I'd love to, as I've, of course, requested all of these stories, you know, and the way that I end up processing all these stories is that my immediate reaction was I just want to hug them. Not out of, not out of this, I was going to use the word sympathy. That's not the right word I'm looking for. Not out of a pity, that's the word. Not a pity hug, but a hug of being able to transfer that which words cannot describe, which is the love that I feel for someone that has been through such trauma. Because I surely have not been through a rape myself. However, I have had a glimpse at what it must be like to be overpowered by someone. When you train in jujitsu and you know what it's like to grapple with someone who's 30, 40 kilos heavier than you, and you know that if this got ugly, if this got un, un beneficial for both sides, there'd be very little that you could do. There have been many times where I've been grappling with people much bigger than me, and you realize that if this went to shit, there's not a lot I could do here. There's not a do. There's a certain point at which that weight overcomes skill. There's a lot of leeway in between there, but if you're in a tight, small room together and you've got a guy that's 40, 50, 60 kilos heavier than you, sometimes it doesn't have to be that much better, that much bigger, but you know, there's a certain point in which that skills are going to fail, which is why there are weight divisions within five classes. And so that's my closest point of relation when it comes to what it would be like to be raped, what it would be like to go through that sexual abuse. It's very, it's very, I'm saying right now, it's very difficult for a masculine being to try and understand that just in a real embodied sense. But what I do understand is how I feel about that, which is why one, why any man would want to inflict that upon a woman. There has to be something so corrupted. So I'm just adjust the cord here. There has to be something so corrupted within his perception of the dynamic between masculine and feminine beings in order to force himself upon a woman, consciously, knowing it consciously. It's just so foreign. Well, that's all I can really describe here. It's just so foreign. But the feeling that I feel about that, more so directed towards the woman, is that never should she have to experience that. Never would I want my own daughter to experience anything like that. I'm going to leave that one right there. But just because, as you can see, words fail. They really do fail. This is really an emotional, an emotional, a feelings-based response rather than a lingual one. So... Thank you for taking me to that place. Okay, I've got a bit of a shorter message coming here. This woman says, Not so much personally, unfortunately in a very wonderful marriage, but my sister-in-law, who was married to my brother, who has struggled with years of alcohol slash substance abuse. Two young children they had. After many years of it progressively getting worse, she has left and is out now. A few months now. The saddest part is, though, is hearing her say, just a few days ago, that if it wasn't for the kids, she would have stayed. Which gets me thinking at how much those in those relationships are so damaged and somehow still believing that things will change or that things will get better. So devastating. Broken heart emoji. Another nice little short message there which actually speaks to a great angle, a great perspective on the entrapment circle. 
false hope. False hope. We're going to talk about hope a little bit later on in some quotes I want to, and some excerpts I have from the Dalai Lama. But false hope, it's a very complex idea. You know, and when, when would you give up on that? When would someone decide to give up on the fact that this person has forsaken themselves and you and your care? You know, rather than playing that mathematical equation of when that would be, I think a much more helpful mentality or mental thought process to go down is what will I accept and what will I not accept? Setting the ground rules for yourself and your relationships is a large principle that I talk about in general, regardless of whether it's a violent one or not. Where at some point, and what you find in all these stories is that at some point, each of these women and for men that will go through it as well, at some point you will be pushed to the breaking point in which that you have to say, I will not accept this behavior anymore. It's just about when you're going to be willing to have to make that. And by no means is that ever going to be an easy decision. Of course not. Absolutely not. But then the equation and the question that is presented to all of us when experiencing pain is, when is the pain of not changing going to be so great that you must now change? How much pain are you willing to endure? Another intense story coming up. Let's get it. This woman comes in saying, so five years ago, I got away from my ex. He started drinking a lot, gambling, and then drug use. I had ended it with him, but he refused to move out. Things got to breaking point when it was my birthday, and I went out to celebrate and he showed up by charging over $1,000 to my tab and abusing me in public, which strangers stepped in. The next morning, I got home to ask him to pack his stuff and be gone while I was out. When I returned to the property, he went sadistic, smashing up everything I owned, ripping up all my clothes, smashing in walls, and of course, me. I am forever thankful my kids were at my mum's, but when I finally had the ability to call the police, I was not in good shape. He got taken away. And I had to rebuild everything. But this was not the worst. Now he was out, you would think that was a positive. But that just got worse. He was showing up at night, screaming, trying to break in. To sum up, over the next two years, he got worse. I got beaten up a street away from my house, from him. And then the final straw was he FaceTimed me to say that he had the kids, only to start committing suicide on camera. To which I lost it and hanged up immediately. In brackets, big mistake, he then came after me and tried to kill me. In brackets, I got away, but it took the police a further 20 hours to get him. He was put in remand. So, standing, I gave a five-year intervention order, but they don't protect you. I moved, but it took a very long time to feel safe in my skin again. This is a very brief explanation, but you get it. I had three to four years of horribleness like many others. I know my kids had both witnessed me get the shit kicked out of me, but I stopped him from touching them, and I count my blessings I could protect them. But the hardest wasn't the leaving for me, it was him coming after me because I left, and the healing and psychological process not just for myself, but for both kids. I think what is the ongoing battle is he got out of remand and came after me. We have more time of peace now, but he's still out there looking for me. And that scares the life out of me. But unlike others, I have amazing support and friends, and my kids and I are safe, and that is number one. I know I sound like a broken record, but how, how can you conjure words? How can you conjure words to describe what that is, what she's going through? 
there's a different level what's added there though let's be honest here there's there's something out new that's been added there which is this insatiable need to continue seeking i guess in his mind vengeance i know some of the other women have described more of a legal process of that vengeance but this one guy in particular is trying to seek a existential vengeance to actually end her life I'm not sure if he's trying to end her children's lives or their children's lives, but certainly hers. Um, Of course, this is a summary. This is a summary across years and years of someone's life, and I'm sure there is a deep, deep chasm of psychological complex within him as to what would lead to that, why he feels that way, how he would justify that, which I think we would all find tremendously fascinating. I think it would be fascinating to try and understand that workings of the mind. Again, never to excuse any of it, but but it's just such insane behavior, yeah? It's so insane. And if anything that I can offer here to her is that, you know, you're just so courageous. You're so strong. You're so incredibly strong to your, your desire to protect your children the most. You know, I said in the last podcast that I love women for many things. I love women for their creativity. I love women for their sexuality. When they embrace, I love their, most importantly, their voraciousness, their tenacity, for fighting when it comes to their children, when it comes to bodily autonomy, the way that they wish to protect their children. It's one of the things I love most about women. And you can see here in a situation like this, she or she may be listening to this going, well, I never really had a choice. Like she might be thinking that, like I didn't, don't feel like I had a choice, that that's just what I had to do. But when you take a third perspective on it, it's not what you had to do. It's what we would have liked. It's what society would like you to do. But you certainly had a choice there. You certainly had a choice. You could have continued to stay in that relationship. You could have continued... You could have let it go to the point where he was beating your children. Right? You, you, you took a risk on your own life in order to protect others. And it's just, man, so strong. So strong. The word hero gets thrown around a lot these days. Yeah, but that's, that's heroism right there. That is literal heroism right there. And thankfully, her children will hopefully never have to understand why. Or have to understand or have to reckon with her heroic actions. It's a quiet heroism that she has displayed here that likely will go unnoticed. Good people do quiet things. Most of the time, most of the things that make our world work are in the quiet moments. The news highlights the worst of us and the best of us. It highlights our achievements as well. Not as much as our aberrational shortcomings, but it highlights the extremes because that's what gets clicks, that's what gets money, that's what gets viewership and attention, which will generate revenue. But in order for society to work, and we will talk more about this later, inherently humans are good. Inherently humans are good. In this particular podcast, I'm going to be very cautious at the end of this podcast because we're going through so much darkness, we're going through so much conflict of the concept of humanity itself. If you were to just take this podcast and slap it, label it as, okay, all guys or all humans are going to behave like this. This is, again, this is, this is a, this is a cross section. Yes. Being a random cross section uh, of women across Australia that you've heard so far, but it's not all women. It's not all men. So I just want to keep the check, keep the perspective on it here. That is incredibly powerful. These stories are don't fall into a place. Don't find yourself falling into a place of defeatism around humanity not yet not yet finish this podcast first i'll have some things to say to you at the end okay but 
on this lady, thank you so much for your strength. Okay, we've got a shorter message coming in here, more on the legal side of things. This woman comes in saying, I've been going through this for 18 months, three daughters, 18, 17, and 12. I'm being punished by my ex because I finally had the courage to leave an abusive marriage of 20 years. In fact, my daughters helped me to leave. We escaped interstate, and he tried to bring the full force of the law on me. Fortunately, the judge saw it for what it was and let me stay here with the girls. The youngest has no relationship with him and is scared, but the courts are forcing her to have time with him. Fortunately, it's been very limited as he generally neglects to show. I've begged him to get therapy, but he refuses. My youngest now has an eating disorder. He has no empathy or any insight to how his behavior has affected the girls or me. He has a great job, and I have been a stay-at-home mum. The only way he can punish me now is to financially ruin me by continually dragging me through the courts. If he cuts ties and just agreed to settle or pay child support, the relationship would be much better. That last little bit there, it would just be so much better if he could just settle up. If he settle up and pay child support, if he's already financially well-balanced and stable. But you can see why someone wouldn't do that. I think some of the other messages have resonated that as well. They talked about the ownership of property. Right, and that concept of that, even the vengeance concept, I'm not, of course, I'm not him, but I'm throwing out hooks here. I'm throwing out things she may resonate with, which is from the masculine perspective, particularly. What you're seeing here is actually a very, uh, some, something of a regression back to a tribal mentality when it comes to the ownership of human beings. Right? There's almost a psychological survival mechanism that gets switched on when an intimate partner, obviously in order to have children, you were intimate at some point, but intimate at initial stages, but then psychologically intimate to the point of which that you own this person now. I find that very fascinating. And I find that in a situation like this one where it could be done, it could be it could be settled, that is not. As a masculine being listening to that, you know, to what level of delusion, to what level of what what are you hoping for? What is this guy hoping for? That you would find some form of sense of fulfillment in life by causing pain financially to the woman that clearly no longer wants to be with you. I'm not in a position position to judge uh, what the abuse was. I'm taking a word for it, of course. But you know, a relationship is two, both is a two-way street, but I can't accuse anyone of anything. That's not my place here. All I can do is read out the message. But our seemingly and apparently it would seem that this woman definitely doesn't want to have anything to do with you. So why wouldn't you let go? I wonder when he will reach his pain of change. Sorry, his change of pain. When the pain is now too great to not change. Always trying to think about it from the different perspectives. And I thank her for sending that in. Especially from the legal side of things. All right, this story is really going to do your head in. Not only is it explicit, but it's just emotionally transformative. So please strap yourself in. This woman comes in saying, I don't recall a specific time that it started. It was always just there. Although specific moments do stand out in my mind, mum was always visibly cautious of dad, scared, always keeping me quiet, always proactively trying to please him and preempt his next need in an effort to defuse the inevitable fallout. It would only ever prolong the time in the middle where we tiptoed on eggshells. The time between him being terribly sorry that we made him do it and the next explosion. That was everyday life. For as long as I could remember, I was a quiet achiever at school not wanting to stand out and bring attention, pushing down my smarts to be average. All my energy was focused on blending, blending to hide so many filthy secrets. I never had friends. There was no point. 
We couldn't hang out and I couldn't risk being close to someone and have them discover what my life was really like. Everyone assumed life was grand. We had a beautiful brick home, nice clothes, plenty of toys, and wore perfectly practiced smiles in all the family photos. I recall being five years old. I had been unwell and the doctor had prescribed pills. I couldn't swallow pills. I stood at the kitchen sink with mum and in desperation in her eyes as she ushered me to be quiet as I tried again and again to swallow. I couldn't. I was crying. There were footsteps and the glass of milk was snatched from my hands. Everything went dark and I came to on the tiles wet with mild and smashed glass around me. Dad had smashed the glass on my head. Five years old and that memory is so vivid. Just want to leave that there for a second. At the sink, trying to swallow some pills. Couldn't do it. Father comes in, grabs a glass of milk, smashes it on her head. To the point of knocking her out. It's just, it's just, it, it, it hurts. It really does hurt. You know, right now I'm just feeling the deep, the deep anguish of trying to understand how a man would do that to his child or five-year-old who's so indefensible, done nothing wrong. It's your own child. It's your own child. It's one thing to just get upset at your child or to say a misplaced word or to, or to argue with them. It's another thing to take a glass and smash it on their head. How deeply broken you must be inside to want to do that to your own kin, let alone a human being in general. What seed sits within you? That <sighs> When I read that the first time, I really... I really had to shed a tear. I'm trying to keep it all together here in this podcast, but it's... Okay, we'll keep going. We'll keep moving on. The story's not done. She went on to say, I was four when the sexual abuse started. Mum was not at home, and he had told me I had a rash and needed medicine down there. I cried. Too much, it would seem. Everything went black with an open hand smack to the head. For those of you that are listening, it's like I have to walk away. It's like I have to walk away. I have to throw my hands up in the air. There's a sense of rage. There's definitely a sense of rage that dwells up within me. While in these podcasts and you see the the adult version of Adam is very very calm, very balanced. Uh, As a teenager, I was very hot-headed. I was very hot-headed and it was only martial arts that uh, centered me and that allowed me to take control of that and not to express that in any violent way towards others mostly into bags but you just just listening to that it's the combination of the glass of milk but then you're you know sexually abuse your own child and then when she rejects you you knock her out what the fuck you know it's just you see i've he's that i'm trying not to let that volcano come out because 
even though it's there, like I'm trying to like describe it to all of you. It's like, there's like a volcano within my head. It started within the core and it's just raising into my head and nothing more right now would I love to just go like sprint, like go out to the beach and just sprint or to just dump all this adrenaline. There's this response. I'm not sure if you are, if you're all feeling this, but there is definitely a physiological response from me being a masculine being, hearing about another masculine being doing that to his, to his feminine daughter, to his little daughter, four-year-old, four years old, four years old, you to sexually abuse her and then knock her out. She's four years old. It's like, that is, it is the worst of worst. It is the most corrupted of human behavior. You can really, it's, it's just right there. It's right there. The, only, the next level is just killing her afterwards. Like that's, 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 that's what I'm talking about here. And so I'm just trying to describe the, the emotional feelings that come up as a result of this. And, and absolutely, it makes me feel alive. It makes my blood course. It makes my veins pump. Yet at the same time, and we'll talk about more of this later, I do not lose compassion for humanity itself and I do not lose compassion uh, for the situation. Of course, it should never be allowed to repeat. But, and we're not even done with the story. It's just, like I said, some of these we can kind of get through and I'm taking on a bit of a roller coaster here. But you know, she cried. It's just, it's just like that. You know, it's just like, okay. We, we, we won't be able to continue this podcast. We won't even finish the story if I don't rein it in here. So there you go. You got some of that. You got some of the emotional Adam there. But we'll keep, a, we'll keep, a, we'll keep ourselves level-headed here. Don't worry. I'm good. I'm good. I know you're good. So let's keep being good. So she, wins, she goes on to say, <clears throat> after him sexually abusing her at four and smacking her out when she cried, my mom stayed with him for 36 years. At 14, I went to school and could no longer quiet my brain. The quiet achiever stood during math and upended the desk, letting years of rage out. The desk hit the classroom wall and I was sent to the deputy, threatened with suspension. It all come flooding out. I spoke of my uncle's abuse, in brackets, he had allowed my uncle to abuse me in my own bedroom. He'd opened the door and let him in. But didn't dare mention my father. I lived in fear of that man. Such was his narcissistic way, his gaslighting, the constant fear that still I didn't dare step out of line where he was concerned. So what she's describing there is that at a certain point, 14 years old, she just had an emotional explosion in the classroom, smashed the desk, got sent to the deputy, and obviously forced to explain her behavior. And she says because she's being sexually abused by her uncle, but did not mention did not mention her father. Because she lived in fear of that man. Such such strength is the grip of fear. The installation, because remember, she's 10 years older. So that's 10 years on from her being, having a glass smashed against her head and being sexually abused and then backhanded, smacked out. And I'm sure there was, I'm sure, remember, this is just DMs that are a couple pages long, but I'm sure there was much more that went on in that 10 year space as well. Now, if you guys were watching the YouTube version of this podcast, when the particular line came in that he, the father let his own brother come in to sexually abuse his own daughter. I, I, could, I was like clicking. I was going like this. I was like, 
just trying to find a way to, again, try and channel the extreme rage that one feels. But it's not, I guess with me, it's not extreme rage at them because I've learned to personally curtail that again, tribalistic, very tribalistic, very primordial sense of barbarism that I think exists and dwells within all of us, you know, that animal that exists within all of us, and to relocate the focus of what that rage should be, which is actually more of a rage to, this might sound a little strange, but a rage to want to hold that girl, to soothe her, to to show her that this is not what is to be expected or accepted from masculine beings. It's like this I guess so then you can start to replace the word rage with just intensity overwhelming of desire to help this person. You know, it can come out very, it's just very fiery. It's like it's an intense fire that exists within you. It's just, it's so, it's so fucked up. It's so fucked up that even the term fucked up, you notice I haven't, if you guys have noticed, uh, well, for long time viewers, you may have noticed actually Adam hasn't been swearing much at all in this podcast. He's maybe used the word fuck like three times. That was like the third time, maybe. And it's because we're talking about things here where the word fucked up or it's fucked or that's so fucked, it, it actually demeans the level of trauma going on. I have to find much more well-calibrated words to describe what I'm feeling. So moving on with the story here, one year later, I left home at 15. However, we're still in a twisted codependence. My therapist has explained that this is quite normal when the abuser is a parent. However, leaving at 15 made the sexual abuse stop. It's why I left. I could no longer endure it. He allowed his brother to also abuse me. After leaving, I went through a cycle of low-level drug use and attempted to take my own life several times. I was always found. For years, I've thought that I was crazy. Living with the effects of trauma, it impacts everything. I finally cut him off after my mother left him in 2010. He had smacked my two-year-old across the face for crying. We were in cheapest chips. He smashed my nephew across the head so hard he fell off the chair. We were out for dinner. I noticed my four-year-old daughter hiding when he would come to visit. She said he felt scary. That was the point at which I drew the line in the sand and told him he wasn't welcome. In the coming months, he kept us showing up and kept getting told to leave. At one point, I felt strong and confronted him about the abuse, which he promptly dismissed, claiming I was overreacting, stating... I don't know what the issue is. I haven't, I started, sorry, I, I don't know what the issue is. I started having sex with my sister when she was six. He would have been around 14 at the time. He was born a monster. He died a monster, dying alone in the hospital on July 4th, 2021. I now have the strength to work on me. I hope he is at peace. After a lifetime of hell, we all deserve that. How interesting it is that we find ourselves on Monday, the 4th of July, 2022, recording this podcast, exactly 365 days after this man's passing. Listen, that, that's probably, out of all the stories, I think there's only one more story to go, but I think that is by far the most troubling, disturbing out of all of them that we've received. Not that it demeans or diminishes the trauma that anyone else in this particular session has experienced. It is just the level, not only the level and the drawn out nature of what she's experienced, but the real severity in which that she displayed and demonstrated the details of how that was inflicted upon her. Well, you can just tell that this, this is the story that made me stop several times within it 
know, it's, and for her to come out at the end and say, you know, I hope he's at peace because after a lifetime of hell, you know, we all deserve that. After a lifetime of hell, we all deserve that. I like that. I really like that finishing little statement from someone who, you know, she's a mother now. She's got her own children. You know, this is decades on now. And she somehow found it in her... Not only did she find it within her being to say that I have the strength to work on me. So for all the women and men that will go through domestic violence at some point that feel like that this is the end of life now or that everything is just so dark, there's no possible path of retribution, there's no possible path of moving forward into something so much better, so much brighter. Just look at this woman. Look at this woman saying that she has the strength to work on herself now. All the other women in the session that said that, and that she was able to find a place within her, no matter how small it is, to wish her tormentor peace. It's just how grateful I am. How grateful I am to see such an example perseverance, resilience, the heart of humanity. Yeah. The kindness that she could extend. There's a lot of parts, there's many parts of me within that particular story that I wanted to just like pick up the couch and just throw it through the window. Like you have all the worst elements there, particularly the child abuse, but when it's such sexual child abuse, your own child with physical as well it's just it's just so yeah indescribable words and just can't describe it but this is why it's so important that's why it's so important i've never heard a story like this firsthand that's what i'm hope. i hope the power of this podcast is that now i know it's through pixels i know she wasn't in the room telling me but to know that another human being sat down on their phone and wrote this out to me I'm not a Channel 7 reporter. I'm not paid by the ABC. I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy. And you're just someone listening to this. We're all just people. Not in any particular aggrandized position. And to know this is just the experience of another human being. And now if you've listened to this, you have another reference point of humanity. You have another reference point of what it means to live in this world with other people, dealing with different battles, different journeys, which you may or may not have any concept of. I had absolutely no concept to the depths. Like I, I, you, you had heard, you hear loosely, if you've not come across the average person, particularly the average male, uh, I just know from my own friends, is not going out of their way to join men, uh, men or women's recoveries or survivors of domestic violence groups. And they don't sit in circles with people, even though they haven't experienced DV, to hear the stories of others. That's not what a normal person is doing. You know, unless you have a relation point to it, it's unlikely you're going to seek that out. Which is why I think it's actually quite important to, if not, if I'm not for a second suggesting that you need, everyone needs to become an expert or a deeply practiced individual of conversation within every subject of life. Of course, you've got, to, you've got so much time, you've got so much energy. <clears throat> but this is where I think, if not the title or the subtitle of this podcast comes in, which is that it affects all of us. That at some point, like this woman met another man or a man that would one day have her child. And that that man had to somehow coexist, create a relationship with a woman that had been so deeply traumatized. Yeah, that's not easy. That's not easy at all. I've been coming up since, well, I guess really when I started to interact and engage with 
women that had been deeply traumatized before was when I was, uh, when it came to like real physical interactions, I'd met some girls when I was in my early teens that had suffered some abuse. But really when I started to get out of high school and it's not easy, it's certainly not easy to understand the polar the polar behavior of women that have been deeply traumatized that do the complete opposite of what you think they would do. For example, extend them love, they pull away. You know, they turn into ice turtle shells. I've got an entire video series on on a similar behavior relating to girls with daddy issues, describing the ice turtle shell and the lusting firebird and how someone could polarize flip to any one way. You know, how some people may would desire more abuse, further cyclical nature, reinforcement of their identity and their existence in this world because all they knew was abuse. So now that they must seek it out in perpetuity. You know, there's the, handling these conversations. This is why it's important. That's all the reason why I'm going on this point is that this is why it's important just to have an understanding of what people go through. So we've got one more story here, my friends, and this is also uh, pretty intense. So strap yourselves. This woman comes in saying, I'm a domestic violence survivor and glad I can say that now, looking back, thinking what the hell I was thinking for eight years, I was verbally, mentally, and physically abused many times a day, countless times pushed into doors, tables, grabbed around my neck and thrown to the floor. Even in the car, I couldn't escape, hit in the throat where I couldn't even breathe, and even when in the car, driving, I couldn't even look around, as he thought I was looking at other males. It was the same in shops and I literally had to walk with my head down. I was a prisoner in my own home and I would get accused of talking to the next-door neighbors, saying hello. I would constantly get accused of cheating, when I suspected he was the one that was. I had no friends for the eight years that I was with my ex. He also used my now 13-year-old, which is a child, sorry, he also used my now 13-year-old, which is his child, as we broke up, but he had her in his care, so I felt I had to go back as I was scared. It just kept going in circles. Many of these things that happened were also in the front of my now 18-year-old and 13-year-olds, which as a result of that has now affected them mentally. I was so drained every day for those eight years. My mum said just leave, but I couldn't. I was scared as he was so violent, so I just let it go in circles and take that pain. I remember December 2015, my eldest end of school concert we attended. It was the last straw that gave me the courage to get out. I was again accused of looking at other guys when I wasn't, he got angry and walked out. On our way home, he got really verbally abusive and I bit back. All this while the kids were in the back seat. He all of a sudden swung his arm back and he hit me straight in the eye. I was in so much pain that whole night. I slept in my girl's room with my face throbbing. When I woke the next day, I called my parents to tell them what had happened as they were one hour away. They called the police and within 10 minutes, they were at the door and arrested him. It gave me the chance to pack my bags with my girls and never look back. I didn't. But looking back now, I'm so proud that I had the courage to walk out and say enough is enough. It's been five years since I walked away. and I do still have some triggers, but I have an amazing support of my husband. I totally get how people feel when they're told just to leave, just get out. Sometimes it's just not safe to if you don't have that courage and support. I hope this gives someone the courage to say enough is enough. You won't be alone if you leave. There's This is more of a short version. I really hope this helps someone out there. Thank you for doing this, Adam. I was literally just in tears writing this. I had to do this to help me heal. I forgot to add, he previously had domestic violence charges against him before we met, and I have an intervention order against him still. He went to court and pleaded mental health and only got a small fine and good behavior bond. 
but have heard he is continuing the cycle of abuse. So I wanted to finish this barrel of stories from the women's side with that message in particular because despite how, again, the, it's, it's, it's very easy in this session for us to become a little too uh, desensitized and accustomed to, oh yeah, getting smacked in the neck, oh yeah, getting pushed into tables, thrown to the ground. You know, I'm, I'm, re- I'm reading it as it is and I'm trying not to be too much of an actor within this. I'm not trying to infuse things with any more necessary emotion than is actually there because I know that I just can't do justice to it. I cannot do justice to what it must be like to be that woman and for your 18 and 13-year-old who are now 18 and 13, but I'm sure as they were growing up, to witness your mother getting smashed, like to get beaten. And that's not the worst of it, right? There's so much more that goes along with that, with the psychology of it all. But, but even so, even so, for this woman to wrap up at the end, who now has a husband that she's in love with, that treats her right, which means they're going to have a better life for the children as well. She didn't give up on life. She didn't end it. He's still apparently in his cycle of pain, cycle of abuse, but she's left it. And yes, you heard the retelling. As you've heard throughout this entire retelling of many of these stories, that there's always that moment, there's always that breakout moment in which that someone reaches that threshold of pain, no more. And they often have to, I guess in a way, realize their own awakening, their own satori, if you will, of that they can no longer subscribe to the human being that they currently are and be born into something new. That's what's so beautiful about what this woman has described here, what I love so much about that story. It's always a way forward. It's always a way forward. So let's not give up hope. And with that, it's actually a brilliant segue. It's actually a brilliant brilliant segue. Yeah, let's do it. Because we cannot give up hope. And there's a segue. I want to read an excerpt from a book called The Book of Joy written by the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop who's no longer with us, Desmond Tutu. The Dalai Lama goes on to say, This reminds me of my friend who told me about being sent to a Chinese gulag at the time I escaped from Tibet. The night I fled from the palace of Nobelinka, I went to a chapel to pay my respects, knowing that it was likely the last time I would ever see it again. My friend, who was already a senior monk at Naganya Monastery, was there at the chapel. Lopon La, as he was affectionately known by his fellow monks, did not know it was me, because my visit was top secret, and I could not tell him. Then as soon as I had left the palace, the Chinese bombardment started. They arrested many people, and about 130 were sent to a very remote area, like during Stalin's rule when people were sent to Siberia. After 18 years of hard labor, Lopon La was able to come to India, and he told me what happened during his time in the work camp. They had no shoes, even during the very coldest of days. Sometimes it was so cold that when you spit, it would land as ice. They were always hungry. One day he was so hungry that he tried to eat the body of one of the other prisoners that had died. But the flesh of the dead person was frozen and too hard to bite. Throughout the whole time, they tortured the prisoners. There is Soviet-style torture, Japanese-style torture, and Chinese-style torture. And at this camp, they combined them all into an immensely cruel kind of torture. When he left the camp, only 20 people had survived. He told me that during those 18 years, he faced some real dangers. I thought, of course, he was talking about dangers to his life. He told me he was in danger of losing his compassion for his Chinese guards. I could hear a gasp in the room at this extraordinary statement, 
that the greatest danger for this man had been the risk of losing his compassion, losing his heart, losing his humanity. Just moving through a few further lines down past that point, the writer of this book, Douglas Douglas Abrams, goes on to say, the depth of our suffering can also result in the height of our joy. Suffering also gives rise to compassion for all those who are suffering. And because of our own experience of suffering, we avoid actions that will bring suffering to others. I read that book many years ago, and that story has something that I've retold many times in this podcast series and something that I hold with me quite dearly. As someone who went through the most egregious and horrific of tortures, was most concerned of not losing his compassion and humanity for those who were torturing him. I said that we were going to retell some stories from the other side, so let's do. So in response to my Instagram request, only one male responded with some idea of domestic violence. I will add some other things on the end. I said I'll tell a personal story as well. So this is the one male response that I did receive, and he actually didn't get back in time to give me any real details of the relationship itself. But it's you'll find this quite interesting because it speaks very speaks to more of the legal side of things. So he went in saying, hey there, are you featuring men of victims of DV and how systems can ruin their lives? I'd love to be part of your podcast. And I said, absolutely, please share. He said, it's been a four-year saga. I've been dragged through the courts, family and criminal, spent close to $250,000 defending and protecting my children and myself. Investigated by the police and FACS, lost my job, most recently had death threats made against me. I've reached out to every minister and political side However, no one wants to tell me my story. Sorry, no one wants to tell my story as it doesn't fit the narrative. I have done one interview of a prominent radio host here in a certain city back in December 2021. However, he hasn't played it yet. And I'm not sure how you would I'm not sure how you'd like the info or how much you'd like to share. That's all he had sent me. That's that's literally the extent he sent me. I got back to, I responded to that by saying, Could you please let me know what happened within the relationship? Hadn't responded to that yet, so I can't offer anything more than that. But it does. It does. It sounds like this is quite a high-profile case, actually. If he's reaching out to uh, po- uh, political parties and to radio hosts, so I'm not entirely sure. I don't know who this person is, but I'm gonna leave that there. I can't really comment on that, other than really just that there's another side to it, and it's really I, I want to use that message as a doorway to the other side, because this is something that actually Senator uh, Pauline Hanson has described quite a bit in her address, and I noticed she addressed this in her rebuttal to the federal budget that was recently released, which the federal budget, uh, I'm not sure to what exact monetary value, but there was some, there was quite a bit of, I don't I can't say quite a bit. There was some resources, extra resources allocated to uh, women's domestic violence. And she stood up saying that that's great and we need that. However, we're not addressing the domestic violence that is committed upon males and the, not only the conversation around that, but the support for them. And she released a whole bunch of statistics on that, which I do not have for you offhand, but I'm sure if you type into, I think it's on her YouTube channel, you could go back and just maybe just type in federal budget response or something like that into uh, Pauline Hans's channel response. But she did raise a really good point. And a really good point is this, in which that a lot of the females that I had back and forward with, like these initial messages are just the initial messages that I read out, but I had a little back and forward with quite a few of them. And if they didn't say it within their messages, they went on to say to me that, a lot of domestic violence is not actually the punches, the chokes, and the rapes, and the, the real physical things. It's very much the psychological coercion. 
It's the way that you mess with someone's mind. There was that girl that said, it was only when I was 17 or 18, but he would say, hey, if you go out, you're not going to have someone to come home to. You know, it's a very manipulative, it's very narcissistic and a deep psychological darkness in trying to manipulate someone's behavior by, by really using them against themselves and forcing them to question their own concept of self and what they value and how they value themselves. And I find this particular form of domestic violence far more prevalent in at least the males that I know, and that's all I can really speak on, and the friends that I've uh, had these conversations with, the ones that were in relationships in which that I had to say to them, hey, listen, man, is everything okay? Is everything okay? Like when he would describe an argument that he got into with his partner, for example, I don't want to put any of my friends on blast, of course, here, but there was this one particular guy who had been in a relationship for about five years, and he was definitely a more feminine energy-based male. So, of course, as all human beings, we have a makeup of both energies, both masculine and feminine within us. And typically, males do fall onto the more generalized side of having more masculine energy in relation to their feminine. But of course, it can there are uh, aberra- there are outliers to that, of course, as it goes both ways with females, just you know, tomboys, etc. So, but with him, I can definitely say he was a more feminine male. She, if you want to use the colloquial term, that she wore the pants, so to speak. But it was it was more than that, much more than that. It was that the way that she would force him to subject everything else in his life to a lower position to please her. That if she wasn't at the absolute foremost forefront, everything had to be focused on her, then then basically he was showing a distrust, disloyalty to her. So eventually he would cut off, and it's actually kind of just one of the reverses of what one of these girls told me, which is that he would eventually cut off everything in his life and to the point where I had to say, hey, is everything okay? And he's saying, well, listen, man, it's not that I don't want to hang out with you guys. It's not that I don't want to uh, do even things for myself. It's just that, you know, she gets upset if I do. And I think what you're starting to find there is that attributing that to domestic violence, it's, you just need to add one extra word there, which is in the middle, domestic psychological violence, in which that you are, you are hurting someone there. You are, you are attempting to force someone against what their natural desire will would be. It's just it's done in such a... Such a clever, like a very genius, very ingenious, I should say. You know, a lot of when you see in these stories, what you do see is actually quite ingenious. The way that a tormentor trains their victim to become dependent upon them. It's, it's, it's ingenious. It really is. You know, it's like using the word great. There was a great war. Not saying that it's an awesome thing, but it was great in its scale or great in the way that it came about. Ingenious in that way. I've had clients that have been the male clients that have been in domestic violent relationships. There was one time with one client in which that I actually overheard it because we were on a session together. We were on a Skype session. He lived in the US and he, we were on a session and he scheduled his sessions with me when it was at a time that his wife was known to be out. And a very similar situation here. He was a masculine being who was far more, uh, more weighted, more weighted in his feminine energy and that his wife was extremely tormenting and overbearing to the point in which that when she came home, it had nothing to do with me. I don't think she had any concept, any idea of that. He had sessions with me, but I overheard the conversation in which that she was banging on his door saying, you know, why aren't you letting me in? Why aren't you in here? 
and she was yelling and like basically screaming. And he kept saying, I'm, I'm just, I'm getting changed. I'm just trying to just give me a second. And he was like, I'm going to have to call you back. And then she's just like, why aren't you letting me in? It's like, what are you doing in there? And it was just, it was getting really like physically, I was getting like worried, like this is going to turn into an actual fight. And then he ended the call, somehow settled her down, started the call back up. I don't know what he did to appease her. But as she was walking through the corridor, I could just overhear again. She just yells out, you're such a pussy. You're such a pussy. Enter his name. And just the verbal abuse. Just, And he would just like, you see the spirit in him die. You, you saw him become this just puddle, puddle of what a man should be. Just taking the abuse from this from this woman that is supposed to be his partner, supposed to be in this intimate relationship with. And it's like you could just right there see the dynamic. You could see, okay, this guy is actually in a domestic, domestically violent relationship. Not that that's why we came together. He didn't come to me for coaching on that. He came to me for coaching in other respects. More to do with his own fam- family relationship. But it just so happened as well, actually, that uh, his mother was quite abusive towards him as well. Starting to see the cycles of pain. Cycles of pain. <sighs> so... I probably won't throw that one in there. Now I want to throw in my own story. And my apologies, friends. There's been some severe interruptions, which I've had to take a bit of a break and it's actually gone dark now. So I just turned the light on. Uh, so as I said, well, I was going to tell in this podcast the one time that I had come close to some kind of physical altercation, a violent situation with a woman, or a girl, I should say, when I was a teenager. And just to offer my own reference point, not that it ever got to actual punches being thrown or anything like that, but you'll see the violence that could have been born and how... That one experience was so jarring and so informing and educational to me that I'd never, ever want to get close to that ever again. So, uh, rewind back to when I was 16 years old in high school. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, we were probably 10 months into the relationship and, you know, we lost our virginity together and we truly loved each other. However, towards the end of that 10 months, she had started to hang out with a lot of older classmen in her, she went to a different school to me. And a bit, I was very jealous, uh, 16-year-old, I was very jealous. And anytime I had heard news or she had told me she'd been out, you know, there was always that little ping of like, what was she doing with those guys? And assuming the worst without hear- hearing her side first. Of course, big mistakes. So there was this one time. Well, it was the last time, really. It was the end of our relationship, what it led to, which is that uh, sometime during the week, might have been a Friday night, one of her friends had messaged me saying that, hey, I heard she had been over at this guy's place with one of her friends and there was a lot of flirty behavior going on and a lot of a lot of stuff maybe you wouldn't be too happy about. Just wanted to tell you. And of course, this just enraged me. Absolutely enraged me. And I blew, I blew it in, internally and I just said, fuck it, I'm just going to con- confront her. And so I walked over to her house. It was like a 40-minute walk on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and there was no one else at her house. She was two years younger than me, by the way, if I didn't already say that. And so... Gone to her house and I didn't prepare her with what this was going to be about. Another big mistake. So this took her by absolute shock and surprise, I'm sure. And I just basically came in guns blazing, just accusing her of basically cheating, of telling you, you've got to explain to me why were you even in this situation? How you can you reconcile this? what your friend has said? And so instead of her attempting to direct, directly attend to any of those concerns, she basically just questioned my loyalty, saying that, well, how could you trust my friend over me? You didn't even ask me first. And, you know, looking back now, she was very much in her right to say that. 
I'm not disagreeing with that in any way, but in the moment, as I'm retelling you, I, I didn't want to hear that. Of course not, as you're emotionally enraged. And by the way, as you know, I've never, I've never seen domestic violence in my own life. I've been brought up on the principles of always respecting women, never touching women in a violent or aggressive way. So there was never ever going to be an inch of me that even wanted to extend a hand towards her. What I'm trying to paint you towards here is that in these in this argument now, which is just an absolute argument, is that the blood is boiling because of the psychology between the two of us, not because there's any threat of real violence at this stage. It's just that, you know, I, I just can't, you're not the person that I thought I'd signed up to. You know, I don't trust you anymore. You know, there's these things you're not even attending to the things that I'm saying. Like she would not even address anything that I would say and just come back over her own points about things that I probably considered uh, irrelevant at the time. Looking back now, of course not. But anyways, so at a certain point, it was boiling. It got to the boiling point in which that is voices were getting louder the emotions were rising, and I thought this could actually end up, if not things being said that you definitely did not want to say, but actions being taken that you definitely would never want to take. And so I recognize that point, and you know, you guys know that feeling where you just get that volcano in the heart, and you're like, oh, you're, the adrenaline is just rushing, and you just feel like, okay, fuck, I got to get out, I got to leave. And so I was on the couch towards the back window. She was on the couch, you know, the, kind of like the L-shaped couch. She was on the right hand side, and I just said, hey. I'm leaving. I was like, I'm going, I'm done. And so that was both an admission of that. Not only do I need to leave the physical space, but I need to leave this relationship. Like I said it as in we're done, but we are done. Not that just we are just done in this moment, but we are done altogether. Instead of her crying and running out of the room to her bedroom and kicking me out, she went the opposite. And she said, no, you're not. You're not leaving. And she stood up in my way when I tried to leave. So I'd, I'd gotten up off the couch and she got up and said, you're not leaving. She was not a frail, tiny girl. She's a fit girl. Strong, actually, for her age. I was, of course, bigger and stronger. But strong for her age to the point which that we used to regularly grapple with each other. I'd teach her jujitsu moves and re-naked chokes and how to um, you know, get out of certain positions. We used to play fight with each other all the time. And, you know, she, she could choke me out easy. Well, easy is not the right word. She could choke me out if she wanted to. If she really wanted to, she has that ability. Because I taught her that ability. So I know the capabilities that she has. And I know that I can't, it's not going to be pretty if she's going to be this adamant about me not leaving. So she's physically blocking my way out of the corridor to get so in we're in the lounge room i want to leave to the right hand side which would lead to a corridor where the front door is the corridor the lounge room is at the front of the house front door okay she's blocking that corridor at first i think she's just joking because we've only ever played for it before but she's never physically tried to impose herself on me before or put me in a position where i would have to physically do something to her that she wouldn't want me to do so i, I guess i just didn't take it very seriously at first and i just kind of like tried to push past her but she grabbed me. She grabbed me and she threw me back down to the couch. And I thought, okay, not that, not that it hurt me or anything, but it's like, what are you doing? It's like, I remember saying that to her. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, I'm leaving. And she goes, no, you're not. And I'm like, yeah, and that, and so that, of course, enraged me further, which is that, who are you to tell me that I'm not leaving? It's like, not only have I just broken up with you now, 
but I physically don't want to be in this space. Tears are flowing. She's crying. You know, it's that type of voice where words can scarcely escape the esophagus and the, the vocal box. I'm reaching that point as well where I'm trying to hold back the tears because I'm like, I don't understand what's going on here. There's just, it's absolute confusion. She goes, just stay. You're not going. You're not going anywhere. But I didn't take the time in that moment to actually just, you know, lie down or just breathe, you know, space out for a second. I got, it's like a test. It's almost like a test. It's like two bulls going at each other and no one, neither of these bulls are going to back down until the other one is forced to back down. So I get back up off the couch and I make a much stronger move to get past her. I get past her without physically causing any damage. I just really just kind of shove her to the side without pushing her actually over. And then I get out of the corridor and the corridor is maybe 10 meters long. And she's just, she's standing there and she goes, where are you going? What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm leaving. I said, I'm leaving. And she goes, no, you're not. She grabs my backpack and she, she takes it. She's like, you're not going, you're not going anywhere. And I'm like, at this point, it's like, okay, so I'm, you're putting me in a very difficult position here. It's like, so you're taking my shit. You're saying that I can't leave. You're trying to stop me from going. I give up on the backpack. I say, fuck it. You have the backpack. And I just make, make headway for the door. She runs around in front of me and blocks the front door. There's two doors. There's a big, heavy glass door and a fly wire screen that's on the outside of that. She literally just like, almost like a... She's like a protester in a way, defending a tree. Is She's defending the front door, saying, you are not going anywhere. It's like, you're not fucking going. And I'm like, I really start bawling at this point. Like I really start crying my eyes out because, not because I feel like she's abusing me, but because of the position she's putting me in. It's like, I'm stuck between the wall and the wall. It's like, there's nothing I can do here. Every part of me wants to be out of the situation. I don't want to see her. I don't even want to be in here. Like every fiber just wants to be out, both physically but also spiritually. But then the very person who I once loved is forcing me into a position where the only, the only way that this is, I could possibly follow that desire of having freedom to leave is to physically impose myself on her. She knows in her heart I would never hit her. Which is why that tactic is so manipulative. She knows I'm the type of guy that would never try to actually physically put her into a point in which she couldn't stop me from leaving. She knows that. So she's using that against me. At a certain point when I realized that she's not letting go of this door, I tried to. Like I tried to like, again, just tried to physically move her out of the way without striking or causing any damage. She's strong. She's a strong girl. There's no way. Basically, I'm at the point where if I want her out of the way, I'm going to have to hurt her, but I'm never going to do that. So no matter how bad I'm feeling at the time. So I don't know if it was just genius. I don't know if it was just a random occurrence of good luck that I happened across this idea. But I played possum and I, and I said, okay, I don't even remember it being a conscious decision. I just, I just, I, I settled myself when I realized the two options, either you, you hurt, you have to hurt her to move her or you just give up. And I think I just gave up. I think I just literally in the moment said, there's no way I'm going to hurt her. Fuck it. I'm just going to give up here and just whatever. So I'm just like, fine, fine. 
fine, I'm not going then. And I started, I turned around and I started walking back to the living room where the corridor was, to the corridor to go into the living room. She calmed down and she followed me. As she got into the corridor, back into the living room, I, with the lightning speed of old cats, darted back out through the corridor, left all my shit there, ran out, got past the glass door, got to the fly screen, and that's when I remember at the time I was wearing, I can't remember what shirt it was, but it was a shirt that was obviously of loose material because I remember she, at the last moment, as I was coming, fleeing the flywire door, she had grabbed my hand and dug her fingernails into my hand, scratched, like there was maybe a little blood, not much, but it was really just the scratching. And she had torn the sleeve of the shirt, the long sleeve I must have been wearing. I legged it. She had a large, like a very substantial front yard that had a lot of steps going down. I flew down those steps, almost almost falling, almost tumbling, landing down there and just ran out of the street. I ran out onto the street and I turned back and she was standing there at her doorway, just in the standing in the archway, just crying and yelling out at me, fine then, you know, fine then, just leave. But just like yelling, yelling in her, you know, of course, female high-pitched voice, which I can't replicate for you here, but screaming out, fine then, just leave, just leave then. And that hurt even more. That fucking hurt even more. And it, 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 it puts me back in the emotions of it now of how much it hurt in that moment that I never wanted it to get to this moment. I never wanted it to get to this point in which that you had to say it like that in which that I had to leave like this. It didn't have to get to that point. You know, it could have been that I said that I wanted to leave. You just let me leave. And then we could talk about it a little bit more later on. Later that night, I ran home. I ran all the way home from them. And that's a, it's a decent fucking run as well. But at pace, at pace, just crying the whole way home while running through the streets of uh, Adelaide. And this isn't a well-to-do area as well. East, uh, Eastern subs. And I remember I got back home that night and I remember speaking to her sister on Facebook because she said, hey, what happened with, you know, the girl, her sister? And I described some summary of it. But then I I remember breaking up with her through, well, I, I technically broke up with her in person, but to cement it, I remember hopping on, on Facebook Messenger saying, yeah, it's over, we're done, that's it. And, and so finishing that story, kind of summarizing that story, that – that made me in the moment feel ill, like sick. I felt sick. I felt powerless. I felt, I felt put into a position that I just couldn't win. It was, if not for my serendipitous genius of faking to lower her guard, to fake that I was all good and that I was going to acquiesce to her request, that I, and then I had the the physical capability to just lightning bolt out of there and. Yeah, it's, it's a minor injury. I wouldn't call it assault. She was just trying to just grab onto my hand and just her nails slipped on, scratched and, you know, caught my sleeve. It's nothing, nothing life-threatening. But psychologically, I remember on that run home crying. What was I crying about? Was I crying about the fact that we had broken up or that she wasn't willing? Maybe it was the fact that maybe she was cheating. Maybe she did do some shit. And that's why she was so bullheaded about not being willing to address my concerns and rather to divert to other things. Maybe. Maybe she never did. We've never talked about it since. Whatever it was, it definitely wasn't that. 
what I was crying about was that how close I came to hitting her, how close I came, how I could see that through no desire of my own, I was put into a position of which that it seemed like that was the only option. It's like it's either you just – now, I'm not looking – if you step back on a third perspective here, you might look at that story and go, but Adam, she was committing domestic violence on you. She was physically restricting your bodily freedom. She wasn't allowing you to leave. It was just that it was done in a more coercive, manipulative way in which that she was playing you against you. She didn't physically hit me. She did, she We had tussled a little bit together, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that anything. I wouldn't play too much into that. It was the blocking of the door. That right there is why I probably where most of the tears came from because of what that put you into a position of. And so now as we start to, as I'm playing for you guys, the masculine side of things here, when you look at what I talked about with my friends who in which that, okay, they, they get shut down by their girlfriend takes the lead seat, so to speak, or the driver's seat and just says, okay, listen, listen, buddy, you're just doing everything that I say now, right? That's how the relationship goes. And uh, otherwise, you know, you're going to hear it from me. You know, whether it's the psychological manipulation like that, whether it's the client that I told you about in which that there's actually this verbal abuse and just a uh, degradation of someone's value as a human being, or there's something more physical there in which that the woman can play a, can use a trick in which that, well, if you want to do what you want to do, you're going to have to hurt me. Like it's, you could, that's, that, that's what was so damaging to me. It was so damaging to me in the moment. I don't feel like, Maybe though, like it's hard to say that in the moment, did she say that consciously to herself that when she blocks the door, she's probably just acting on instinct. She's probably just thinking, what's the one thing I can do that, well, that then I think that's it. It's like, what's the one thing that I could do? Like if I was her and if I was in that position, yeah, it's a pretty good move. If like, if you don't want the guy to leave, block the way, force him to hit you. Then he's the bad guy. And then, and then, or it's either he's going to have to be the bad guy or he's going to give in and you're going to get your way. It's a really good tactic if you're thinking about it from the female perspective if you want to manipulate the male. Because all I wanted to do was just get out of there. And I remember, I remember reflecting back on that night afterwards, night afterwards going and just every time I'd go do a, a session on the bag, go do martial arts, I'd think about that and go, thank God I had been training since I was a little kid. Thank God I knew the and had reverence for physical consequences because i've been brought up in martial arts since i was five six years old i knew what it was like to inflict to inflict pain and have pain inflicted upon me done within a constructive manner so i knew the capabilities and it prepared me in that moment to not to 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 have the restraint and i'll tell you guys right here i was pushed to the absolute limit of a enraged emotional 16 year old's restraint the fact that i didn't hit her is miraculous. It's miraculous because of the emotional volcano that was happening between the two of us at the time, the position, the manipulation she put me in. Like if, for example, what I'm trying to say there is that, say that my son was in that position and he had made a mistake and maybe he had just thrown her to the side because he's trying to leave a little too hard and she got bruised a little bit. Would you look at that and go that, okay, well, he assaulted her. And it's, like, I would offer, I looking at that position, it's like, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because we all, because as I've been writing throughout this entire podcast, 
which is that, and my principles in life is that I'm never going to hit a woman. I'm never going to lay my hand on a woman. But then what about when you're forced, put into a position where she forces you to do, either do that or to give in to her violence? That's, it's such a difficult position to be in as a male. And I'm sure if you're a female listening to this, you know, we've been talking about through this entire session how hard it is. I've been repeatedly saying to you all how hard it is as a male to put myself in the position of a female who's being abused. But I wonder how difficult it is for a female to do the same to put herself in the position of a male who's being abused. And I haven't got any stories for you here today of really egregious, uh, of women that have, you know, even using the word, well, it's not, it's, not a, it's not an incorrect word to use. It's just that it almost sounds silly because we don't have the conversation when a woman rapes a man, when a woman forces herself sexually upon a man. And the first time I ever heard about this was actually through Joe Rogan's podcast where he described that he was sexually abused by a woman when he was a teenager and, you know, was forced to do sexual things that he didn't want to do with her. She was a much older woman. And so I know it exists. It's just that because I don't have references of that, I'm not going to try and conjure those up. I don't have them. I don't have them in my own life and I haven't had them with any particular close clients, but I do know they exist. So I must do much. So that's on me. I must do more research into that line. But what I was intending to elucidate with this line of thought was that it goes both ways and how domestic violence affects us all. As I said in the last podcast, men and women, we came into this life together and we bring life into life together, aka children. We need the best of each other. We need to understand each other. We need to show that we have compassion even in the worst of times for what each of us will go through. I'm in a different space right now mentally having to relive the trauma of what I went through with my girlfriend. Now, it's made me very somber. It's made me very it's made me very uh, grateful that things didn't get worse, but also, yeah, it's like that's... Compared to what some of the females have written in about here, you know, I can see what some of the other females meant when they said, I know it doesn't seem like much, or I know it's not nothing. I know it's, you know, it seems like nothing compared to what other people have experienced. But this is things that we're all just experiencing ourselves. You know, whatever it is to us, it is what it is to us. So that's where I've developed compassion for whatever you've been through, you know, whatever it is to whatever degree, any form of manipulation, any form of coercion, any form of. Uh, destructive darkness that is imposed upon you it's it's not good at all it's not it's never going it's you know the the weight of it is relevant based on your perspective who you are and that's what brings me forward to to joy because of who you could become as a result of that because of how you would develop yourself moving forward no matter how bad things have gotten knowing that there is always a sky beyond the clouds my intent with this podcast was just to make those who listen aware of the plight of human beings. Understand what people go through. The stories that I received on Instagram, there were 13 stories from random women. I only know one of them, and we've not well, but I know one of them. It was a cross-section from across Australia. Random. If that, if that from just one person like myself is what's going on. And by the way, many of those women 
told of, not only in their messages, that they were shaking, they were crying as they were writing the messages. There are a lot of women that messaged me saying, I don't feel strong enough to be able to say this. I don't feel strong enough to be able to write it down. I'm not there yet. So how pervasive this is, I don't think statistics will ever reveal. On both sides, like most of my line of work has actually been on the opposite end of helping masculine beings to evolve themselves into beings of supreme excellence, showing the utmost levels of empathy and care for their feminine beings, which is why the people that listen to this podcast, uh, none of them I would ever envision, because I know a lot of you, like if not through because we'd met in person, but more so because we've had dialogue back and forward through our messages and through your comments. And I know most of you are extremely respectful towards women, but that is the bias of you being in the space that of course the audienceship of a podcast that is based on evolving yourself diving deeply into who you are understanding who you are in order to deliver the best of human experience for all beings around you of course anyone who is attracted to that would not simultaneously be reckoning with ideas of the woman he hit last night or the woman he was hit by last night which is a great counter perspective which is what you allow others to do to you. I mentioned that point a little earlier in the podcast, and I think this is a great way to really step in here to finish these things off, which is it really comes down to is what are you willing or not willing to accept? For anyone who's struggling with a place in life in which they feel like they're trapped, trapped in a cycle of pain and a cycle of violence, you think and you will rationalize to yourself, I have to protect my children or this person will one day come good. Whatever your rationalization is, I, I cannot judge any of those for you. And I will not attempt to give you remedies, generalized remedies for things that I know nothing of within your own life. But what I will say that will always stand true and will always be a pillar of wisdom that you may access throughout your life is this. It will always come down to what you are willing or not willing to accept. At a certain point, the pain will become too great. And you will be forced with that decision. As you've heard in these stories, all of these women that made the decision to leave and to create a better life for themselves, they all reached that threshold. And they sometimes it had to happen violently. You never want it to happen violently, but sometimes it did. And so I hope you would all have to, after now, after going through this very deeply emotional session with me, take an inventory of yourself and decisions and the relationships you uphold within your life and say, is this something I'm willing to accept or not? And there, the path to action will be laid out before you. And so with that, I'm very grateful for everyone who messaged in, sent me their stories. It has, if not for other people listening from different countries, there are many people who listen to this podcast from the US and the UK and Europe, a lot as well as Australia, but also for myself. It was extraordinarily enlightening for me to hear from a one-to-one perspective of what domestic violence can manifest as, both legally, psychologically, physiologically, sexually, child, children, the most egregious of it all, really, in my opinion. I'm better off because of it. I'm better off because of this conversation. I hope that you are as well. Yeah, that's where where I'm going to leave you guys tonight. It's been a ride. It's been a journey. And we're always here trying to help each other. Help each other evolve into beings that would push love, peace, and joy. Living with love. And that's what I extend to all of you. I'm with you, and I see you. Thank you very much. 
Thank you very much for diving into today's session. It was great to have you here and I'd love your feedback. If you want to send me a message on either social media, on Instagram or on Facebook or through the website, all the links are down below. That'd be greatly appreciated. And if you would like to help to support the podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link or through boldojo.com. Again, all the links down below. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, The Bold Sip, you can do so over at boldojo.com. Just a quick sip of Social Dynamics, a little cheeky article. It's free every single week. Comes out on Fridays, Australian time, and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that I think you guys need to know about that will not get censored over on social media. If you'd like to book one-on-one coaching sessions, create action plans, and overcome limiting beliefs to help you move forward in your life across any area of the temple, whether it be purpose, physical, mental, or social development, you can reach all of that through boldojo.com. Send me an email there if you're not quite sure, but you can check out the Bowl coaching memberships or just once-off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the guided meditation, Eternal Energy, on boldojo.com nice five track yeah, we call it an album but it's actually more of a course just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond if you would like to help support this podcast you can donate anything that you wish through the paypal link which is paypal.me forward slash adam ui a-d-a-m-o-o-i or also directly on boldojo.com in the boldojo podcast section there's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well and anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at The Bowl. So thank you very much. And finally, I wish you all the strength and power as you move forward in this life, not only learning how to interact better with other people, but learning how to interact better with yourself. Much peace and much joy.